chapter 22, verses 15 through 19. And then after we've uh, read and prayed, I'm going to say some things to to you all that hopefully will be kind of a a caveat um, and an encouragement to all of us as we progress through the sermon. This is the word of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seeds as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Verse 18, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And verse 19, So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you now. And we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the strength and power of your Spirit. And as was said this morning, we are coming before our triune God, three in one, one in three, uh, eternally one. Uh, and eternally distinct in person. We pray that you would carry us along now through this sermon. That yes, Lord, it will, Lord willing, be pastoral. Uh, but let it also, Lord, be be technical. Let our minds be challenged this morning. Let our eyes be opened so that we might see and understand. Uh, let the confusing uh, be clear, Lord Jesus, as we pray that you would Help the clarity of the sermon to make sense uh, of the Abrahamic covenant. Be with us now. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name I pray. And we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I sent a message out to all of the brothers of which only one brother responded. Thank you, Brother Louie. Uh, seems to be a weird thing when we send out group messages. One or two people might respond depending on whether or not they like the message. Uh, brother, you're going to have to, there's a bass there, uh, or hum, mm, that. Uh, and the, the message was an encouragement. That's better. The message was an encouragement to all of the men to encourage the men and to encourage their wives to bring something to write with today. Uh, because we will be doing a lot of, which we don't usually do, we will be doing a lot of turn here, turn there, look at this, look at that. So I do hope that you've come this morning with something to write with because I'm going to say, write this down, write that down. Uh, I have been to uh, college, graduated, uh, I'm working on a Master's of Divinity right now. I don't know how some of you can just stare and, and get it all. I've progressed this far in education, and I still need to write things down all the time. So uh, maybe you're smarter than I am. I hope so. But I'm going to encourage you, write things down today, okay? I'm going to say, here's the thing to write down. Here's the thing to write down. So if you're not sure on how to take notes, I'm going to constantly say, write that down, write that down. All right, fair enough. When we last considered the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis, we considered the command and we we classified it as a horrific command from God 
to Abraham to offer up his beloved son Isaac on Mount Moriah. We called it horrific because that's exactly what it was. Nowhere in all of scriptures has God commanded someone other than Abraham to offer up their own child. It was a horrific command. We zeroed in on the great question from that, from, sorry, we zeroed in on the great question from the lips of uh, Isaac to his father Abraham as they traveled up Mount Moriah. And here was the question. Behold, the fire and the wood, they're here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It was the question of the entire Old Testament. All of the Old Testament has this question in view. Where is the lamb for my sacrifice or or who will stand in my place? Where is the lamb that will stand in the place and take my place for the judgment punishment that I deserve? Where is the one, the lamb, that will take the punishment for my sin? And notice Abraham's response in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And in this, Abraham had finally arrived, if we can say uh, such a phrase. Abraham had finally arrived at the place where all of his ingenuity, all of his resources... The place where all of his craftiness would avail him not. Abraham was, with this command, pinned down. Abraham was cornered, placed in a a hold of submission, if you will, to where all he could do was walk by faith in God who called him to faith. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For in it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Listen to the phrase, from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Abraham was living from faith to faith. That is, his faith was growing incrementally. With this command from God, his faith was growing little by little by further steps increasing. And at this particular point in Abraham's life, the the temperature of the testing was turned up to boiling point. At this point, the heat was at boiling point. And I wonder if, if you know what it is to walk by faith in your life... And to be at a place where it seems that your life is at boiling point. Because we will be tested by fire, Peter says. We like the testing to be lukewarm. It's bearable. But the way that God proves his servants is not through lukewarm water. It's through boiling water. So when our the temperature of our lives is turned up to boiling point, praise be to God. For you are being tested, you are being proved, and your faith is showing to be genuine. But faith that melts and dissipates, evaporates, is no faith at all. But the faith that grows strong 
The faith that is proved is true faith. And glory be to God for his testings. When the heat is turned up, our faith is growing. But today, we will not be focusing on the testing of Abraham's faith, for we considered that for the past two weeks. We would like, rather, today to focus on the the purpose of the command. If you're taking notes, what is the purpose of the command? To offer up Isaac on the mount that God had chosen, Mount Moriah. What was the purpose? Was it a meaningless purpose? Or ask this, was it only for testing? Was the command to offer only for testing? We shall consider this question really in four points this morning. They shall be kind of brief in a sense, but we will be turning from passage to passage. So please have your Bibles handy. Number one, the initial call of Abraham. The initiation of the covenant. Number one, the initial call of Abraham, comma, the initiation, initiation of the covenant. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. If you need me to say that again, I'll say it. The initial call of Abraham, the initiation of the covenant. Genesis chapter 12, please. Let's all turn there together. If you're turning in your smartphones or In your physical Bibles, let's all turn there together. We're going to need to see a number of things. Genesis chapter 12. When we consider the command of God from uh, from God to Abraham to take his son, his only son, the one whom he loved, Isaac, and to offer him up as a sacrifice to the Lord, we must understand This is not a meaningless command. Uh, We said last week that when Abraham is receiving this command, he doesn't know what we know. We know more about the command that God has given Abraham than Abraham knew about the command. So for Abraham, it could have seemed like a meaningless command or a, a random command, a command that made no sense. To Abraham, it did not make sense, but he trusted God. For God, it was an intentional command. It was a purposeful command. Uh, We we are going to now look at the purpose of this command, okay? When the Lord had first called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he gave Abraham a difficult command. What was that difficult command? He commanded him to leave his country and to leave his kindred. But when he commanded him to leave, were there any any promises connected to this command or was it just a command to leave there were command there were promises connected to the command let's look at them now the lord god said to abram go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land of which i will show you so so god is calling abraham and if you're taking notes here's what god's commanding abraham leave your country and kindred And then also do what? Go to a land. Abraham is leaving a family and God is going to promise him a family. You see that? We'll see that in a moment. I will make you a great nation. Abraham is coming from a people. God's calling him from that people and he's going to make him a new people. Abraham is is being called from a land and God is going to give him and his descendants a land. 
if you if that makes sense. And then there's also something else. Uh, let's keep reading. I will make you in a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And then there's something else. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So contained within this initial call to Abraham, this is important, contained within this initial call of Abraham is the initiation, the beginnings or foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. If you're taking notes, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is initiation of the covenant. Initiation of the covenant. What covenant? Abrahamic covenant. Right? So then, while God was calling Abraham to leave his country and kindred, God is also making promises to Abraham. And these, in chapter 12, are the foundation of the the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, You may remember covenant remember we we just a few weeks ago spoke about what a covenant was Uh, and there was a covenant that we spoke about just a few weeks ago between two earthly individuals who were they who were those two earthly individuals that made a covenant with one with one another abraham and who and abimelech it was a covenant between two earthly individuals which means it was a a covenant among equals okay These two men made a treaty or covenant of friendship. They were two equal parties, both making commitments and agreeing to those commitments. Uh, Abimelech saying, I will do this. Abraham saying, I agree with this. Uh, I will do this. And Abimelech saying, I agree to that. So they are two equal parties agreeing to a specific covenant or treaty, right? The covenant that God is making with Abraham is completely different. When the Lord God came to Abraham, there was not a sitting down, if you will, between two equal parties. Because God is not equal with man. Therefore, God is now imposing a covenant upon Abraham. He's saying, you will do this. Why? Why does God get to do that? Because he's God. Very simply, God gets to impose or tell, command man what he will do. This is a divine covenant. Divine covenants that have sanctions. They are promises with sanctions. Okay, so God is divinely imposing. Here's, here's, write this down. God is divinely imposing a covenant made with promises and threats. Sanction is a threat, okay? This is evident in the title alone, divine covenant. It's a covenant from God to man. It's not a covenant among equals. Uh, Did you all get that last part? It's, It's a divine covenant, right? Made with promises and threats. Right? Divine meaning it's imposed by God. It's not a party among equals. In chapter 7, uh, paragraph one of our confession listen to what it says the distance between god and man and the creature is so great that though we owe him obedience god has voluntarily condescended to his creation by way of covenant so the way that god fellowships no communicates to his creation is through covenant 
Right? So then God condescends to his creation by way of covenant. Covenants are imposed by God with blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Divine covenants are, listen, here's, here's, here's important because we're talking about imposing imposition. Divine covenants are always meant to improve the state of one's present condition. So the Lord is not imposing something on a person that will not, that will make their life worse. It will always make their life better if they do what? Obey. Divine covenants are meant to improve one's state. Okay? When the Lord God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he made promises to greatly improve Abraham's life. In those verses, we found, again, the foundations of the Abrahamic covenant. And these promises are going to be revealed, as our confession says in chapter 7, paragraph 3, they're going to be revealed by farther steps. So the initial promise is here, and we're going to see it further revealed as we progress. Abraham will see the promises further revealed as he continues walking by faith. This is chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the initiation of the covenant, also the initial call of God. That's number one. Number two, promises of the Abrahamic covenant. What are the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. So within this initial call of God, uh, from God to Abraham, we see that there are covenantal promises given to Abraham. Meaning, God is saying, if you go do these things, if you obey me, here's what you will receive as a reward. God promised to give Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, you should, you should write this down, Genesis 12, 1, promises, what? A land. Genesis 12, 1, God promises a land. Genesis 12, 2, God promises a nation from a seed that will come from Abraham. Now, that part is going to be further revealed to Abraham. He just knows right now that he's going to become a nation. Right? So, number one, a land, 12, 1. Number two, a nation, 12, 2. And finally... That in your seed, now I want you to write down seed in capital. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, 12-3. Three promises, listen to this. It, it, it sounds like three promises, it is, but it's one covenant. We're going we're gonna to walk through a number of different uh, times in Abraham's life, and it's going to seem like, is that another covenant? Is God making another covenant? No, this is all one covenant that is consistently being further revealed as Abraham progresses and walks by faith, okay? So there are really two promises, but on one of them, it's two-sided. So land and offspring. Land is one promise. Take notes. Uh, Offspring is two-sided. They call it dichotomous. It's a two-sided promise, okay? So it sounds like really three promises, but it's two, and one of those is two-sided. Now, uh, let me just say this. I've been studying this for about maybe six months really intensely. If you don't get it today, it's okay, right? It might be the first time you're hearing all of this. It's not, but we're here for questions, all of that. So we'll just do the best we can. All throughout the life of Abraham... 
The Lord God is further revealing, listen, the details of the promises and details of the conditions to Abraham. That's important. Details of promises and conditions are being further revealed. For example, now I want you to stay with me, okay? Consider the land. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Look at there. Here's a, a further elaboration. So God calls Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees and says, go to a land. Now listen, look real quick because you're in chapter 12 already. What land? God says, I'll show you. Go to a land, I'll show you. In verse 5, God begins to show him. When they came to the land of Canaan, that is after they left, Look at your Bible. Don't look at me. 12.5. Look at your Bible. Abraham passed through the land to that place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. What land are they in, brothers and sisters? Say it loud. We're, we're talking to each other here. The land of Canaan, right? He's passing. He's through the land of Canaan. He's coming to a specific place in Canaan, Shechem. And now to an even more specific place, an oak tree at Moreh. And the Lord said, or appeared to, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So God initially called him from a land to a land that he will show him. And now he's in that land and God says, I'll give this to you and to your descendants. So what does Abraham do? He builds an altar there. The place that the Lord had appeared to him. Abraham worships the Lord. This is an act of faith. God has said, I will do this. Abraham worships God in faith, right? The Lord initially called Abraham, initially initiated a covenant with him. Contained within this covenant was a promise of land and offspring. These are further going to be revealed. After Abraham and Lot separate, the Lord God again appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. Go there and verse 14, Genesis 13, 14. Now, we're only... we're, we're zeroing in on land right now okay are you with me uh, i'll try that again are you with me okay great verse 14 abraham separates from lot what what did lot do where did what part of the land did lot choose speak to me loud we're talking to each other that's fine huh the great side right the well-watered land uh moses describes it as looking like the Garden of Eden kind of land, right? It's really well watered. And at that point, the Lord God comes to Abram and says, verse 14, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise and walk about this land. It's length and it's breadth, and I will give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt at, uh, by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And what does he do? And he built an altar to the Lord. So the Lord God initially calls Abraham, go to a land, walks him through Canaan. This is yours. Takes him to a place and says, look around as far as you can see and then walk about it. It's your land. Abraham builds an altar by faith and worships the Lord. Are we together? Okay, what's happening? The initial call 
or promise of land is being further revealed. Right? God has said, here's land. Let me show you what it looks like even closer. Let me get, let me, uh, let me give you a, a microscope so that you can get a better glimpse of it. Uh, go now to chapter 15. The Lord confirms his covenant with Abraham through the fire pot and flaming torch or smoking, smoking pot and flaming torch. Verse 18 of that chapter. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, what? To your offspring, I give this land. Now listen, listen to what it says here. Listen to the specifics of this land, right? From the river Egypt. To the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, think about the initial call. I will give you a land. In chapter 13, and now in chapter 15, God is really being specific about what land is his. What land he will give to his descendants. Are you with me? Yeah. Finally, in chapter 17 and verse 8. The Lord God, after calling Abraham and his household to circumcision, says, And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of what? The land of your sojournings. All the places that you have been wandering are yours. All of the what? What does it say? What does your what does your Bible say, brothers and sisters? Say it loud. All of the land of of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That is, the, your people will be my people. So, contained within this initial call that God will give Abraham land, God has progressively shown him. What that land is. And says finally this is yours. And it's confirmed through covenant. Are you with me? Now what else has God promised? What else has God promised? He initially says go to a land. What's the next one he promises? What? Nation. Right? He promises to make Abraham a nation. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. Go back a few pages. Genesis 12, 2. I love to hear those papers turning. And I will make you, he says, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. When the Lord God calls Abraham, Abraham is 70 years old. Here we see God promising to make Abraham a great nation and that Abraham would be the patriarch or the head of that nation. All the descendants of Abraham would look to him as their father. There's one problem here, though, when God calls Abraham. What's the problem? He doesn't have any descendants. He doesn't have any uh, offspring. How can you become a nation without any offspring? Yes, did not even have a child to build a nation upon. And yet Abraham believes this promise from God. 
it will be further revealed. Genesis chapter 15. Let's go there. The Lord God came to Abraham to reiterate, repeat, and further reveal his covenantal promise. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Abraham believes that God will give him, uh, make him a nation. Listen, listen to this. But Abraham doesn't know exactly how that's going to take place. We've dealt with land. God has said, I'm going to make you a nation. Abraham says, how? I don't have any kids. So Abraham reasons in his own mind, the way that God will make me into a great nation is through my servant Eliezer. He is not a, a, a relative per se of Abraham. He is his servant. He's not his offspring. But it's the way that Abraham, doesn't he do that often? It's the way that Abraham reasoned in his mind that God would do this thing. Abraham presumed to know the plans of God. He would become a great nation, but just in a way that he thought, not in the way that God thought. So he comes to God and says, you haven't given me what you said, so the nation will be built on Eleazar. Verse 4 of chapter 15, verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man, Eleazar, will not be your heir. He, uh, he will not be the one, if you will, that the nation will be built upon. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. He, God, took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him or considered it to him, uh, accounted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. And because of his faith in God, he was declared as being righteous. Because of his faith in the promise of God, which we'll get to in a moment. What is God doing here? This is important. From the initial call in chapter 12, God is now expanding or revealing more information about that call. He will make him a nation, but it will not come through Eleazar. Abraham has just learned that it will come from his own body. Someone will be born. The Lord further reveals the, the details that one from his very own body will come. And, and God seals, confirms this with a formal covenant ceremony where they walk through the severed carcasses. So, what did Abraham do after God made this promise to him? One will come from your own very own body. What does he do? What does he do? Yeah, he says, oh, not through Sarah, though. Maybe this is the route that Abraham is constantly trying to assume he understands the providence of God, right? He fails to wait. God appears to Abraham 13 years later. And what does he do? Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to read this, okay? Now, when Abraham was 90 years old, this is 13 years later, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, listen to what he says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall, your name shall be called, shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. Now, God has made this promise, hasn't he? 
Now Abraham learns something else, though. Not only will we become a nation, but kings will come forth from Abraham. God is further revealing the details of the covenant. He first said, I will make you a great nation. God is saying, I'll make you fruitful. Uh, in p- chapter 15, they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In chapter 17, not only will they be numerous, but kings will come forth from you. Do you see what God is doing? He, from that initial call and covenant, he's telling him, uh, Abraham, more details about this covenant. But here's something else. Verse 15, chapter 17, verse 15. Look there. Then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarah, you shall not call her name Sarai, uh, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will become the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Now Abraham gets more information. Not only will he become a nation, not only will they be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea, uh, not only will kings come from him, but it will be through Sarah. It will be through Sarah that this son that God has promised will come. This is the promise of God. Now, this promise of offspring is two-sided because God has also promised something else to Abraham, hasn't he? There's still one more promise in this covenant. And it's still just one covenant. Verse 3 of chapter 12. Listen, are you with me? Are your heads spinning? It shouldn't be. This is fairly easy. Trust me. Chapter 12, verse 3. If you're not taking notes, it's going to be hard for you. You're just going to be listening to a bunch of words. Write things down. It's going to help you, okay? Chapter 12, verse 3. Here's the, the other side of that offspring promise he says in you all the families of the earth will be blessed now listen to this this is very important okay this is the only promise that is not repeated that is not further revealed that is not uh that abraham does not get more information about listen 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 until Genesis 22, verse 18. That is very important. This whole time, from the initial call that God gave Abraham in chapter 12, he doesn't mention verse 3 until we get to 22, 18. God promised that from Abraham, there will be a seed that will bless the nations. He will be the offspring of Abraham. He will be physical offspring, which is why it's two-sided. He's still speaking about physical offspring, but there's a different side, a different, uh, a different, there's a, a, there's a, a difference about this offspring in comparison to the Isaac offspring. Notice after Abraham's obedience, God repeats this promise. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. Twenty-two, eighteen. Are you there? Good. After God or after Abraham obeys, here's what God says in your seed. See that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we've briefly looked at the promises contained within the covenant. But before we get into what this means, we need to talk about requirements for the covenant. Okay. We, we've talked about a covenant as promises that also comes with uh, threats or sanctions. 
why would God threaten someone? He makes a, he makes a command, promise, and then a threat. What's the threat for? Well, how many of you are parents here? Okay. When you threaten your child, that sounds really harsh. What is it usually in relation to? Disobedience. It's in relationship usually to something they are not doing or have not done. So there are requirements in this Abrahamic covenant. How do we know that? The Bible tells us. So number three, our third point is covenantal requirements. If you want to make it simple, just say commands from God. When God makes a covenant, there are promised blessings and promised curses. The blessings are contingent or dependent upon one's obedience. You will be rewarded if you obey. Now, up to this point in this Abrahamic covenant, it may seem like the covenant that God was making with Abraham was one of, listen to this, pure grace. Because God is constantly saying, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And it it almost seems like, well, God is just going to bless Abraham no matter what. But that is not the case. God has given Abraham certain requirements that he must obey. Listen to this, brothers and sisters, look at me real quick. What was the very first command that God gave Abraham? I, I say it all the time. Leave. If Abraham did not leave, would he receive any of the promises? There's at least one command there from the very beginning. If Abraham does not leave, he gets nothing. Is this command a command written on the heart of men? Has God written on the heart of every man, leave your country and your kindred? No. It's what's known as, write this down, this was a positive command. A A positive command is a command that is not written on the heart, but it is one that God adds. And it's for a specific person or people, and it's usually in relationship, most often than not, relationship to a covenant. When God makes a positive command, it is most often in relationship to a covenant. Very important. What is Abraham's response? He leaves. In the 15th chapter... God commanded Abraham to gather animals for the covenant ceremony. Did Abraham do that? Yes, he gathered the animals. He cut them in pieces. But what we really see in chapters 12 through 15, write this down. In chapters 12 through 15, we see God's side of the covenant. In other words, this is what God says he will do. In chapters 17 through 22, we are seeing Abraham's side of the covenant. In chapters 12 through 15, God's side. Chapters 17 through 22, Abraham's side. What does God say to Abraham that he must do in chapter 17? Go to 17. Go to 17. Are we there? Look at verse 1. What is the, the, the very first thing God says to Abraham 
after he says, I am God Almighty. Here, I'm God. This is why I can command you to do these things, he says. Walk before me and be blameless. There is a command from God to Abraham. Verses 9 through 14, God begins to explain the covenant of circumcision or why Abraham and his household must be circumcised. And this is a command from the covenant. He says and begins like this. Now as for you. Uh, look there, if you will. See this? Verse 9, chapter 17. If someone wants to say the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace. Then why does God begin in verse 9 by saying, now as for you. He's essentially saying to Abraham, here's your work. Here's what you must do in order to receive the rewards of the covenant. Now, as for you, and he commands him to circumcise all of him and all of his household. In the book of Acts, Stephen calls this is important. Stephen calls the covenant made with Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. Now. Abraham has been commanded to do a few things. What else has Abraham been commanded to do? What's the biggest thing Abraham has been commanded to do? We just dealt with it the past two weeks. Offer up your son. So God has been, here's your promises. Now here's your requirements. And the final requirement that God gives to Abraham is offer now to me your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. Now, again, it was not just a test. It was the listen to this chapter 22. It was the final requirement in the Abrahamic covenant. It it was the final work Abraham had to work in order to receive the rewards of the covenant. How do we know this? How do we know that that was the the final thing that God required of Abraham? How do we know? Because God tells us. Where does God tell us? In his word. Go to chapter 22, verse 16. We just read it. It was our opening verses. God says in verse 16... By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. Listen to what he says, because you have done this thing. Well, what thing is that? He tells you, not withheld your only son, your son, your only son. Here's what he says. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed at the stars of the heaven and at the sand of this, which is on the seashore. Listen to this, brothers. Has, is that a new thing God just said? Or has God been saying this? It's the same covenant. It's the same promise. But now that Abraham has obeyed, God is saying you will receive this reward. But he's not done. Going on. And your seed shall possess the gate of, listen to that word, circle the word if you have it, their enemies. And then verse 18. He's not done. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because Abraham has obeyed the work, God will give him the blessing. And all of the things that God has promised initially from chapter 12 are reiterated here in chapter 22. The covenant is now complete. 
Abraham has done his part. God will do his part. No one can deny God has commanded Abraham to work in order to receive the rewards of the covenant promise. Now, briefly, and then we're going to get to our final point. What is the consequence if Abraham did not obey? Because there are uh, promises, right? The promise rewards. There are work required and then there are sanctions if you don't obey the work what were the sanctions or the the threats if abraham did not obey what's the threat chapter 17 verse 14 uh just a side note if you're ever trying to study covenant theology or or covenants look for these things promises rewards threats Highlight them. You'll be able to figure out what's, what's the covenant. What, what are be, what's being promised here? What's being uh, threatened? What are, what's, what are the requirements? What are the works? An uncircumcised male. Here's the threat. Who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken covenant. Abraham would be cut off from God if he did not obey God. Simple as that. God is imposing covenant, and if Abraham does not obey, he'd be cut off. It's as simple as that. He would not inherit the land. He would not be made a great nation. And the final would not also come from him as well. Last and final point, number four. Fulfillment now of the covenant promises. So we have dealt with uh, the initiation of the covenant, the promises of the covenant, the requirements of the covenant, and now the fulfillment of the covenant. We need to know, has God kept his promise? Man has done his part. Will God do his? Let's deal with them in the same way that we dealt with the promises. Let's deal with land first. So if you're taking notes, land, land fulfillment. Abraham lived in the land that God promised that he would give him. Listen to this. But he did not take possession of it in, in, of that land in his lifetime. He uh, saw a greater land, if you will, the book of Hebrews talks about. He received it by faith, but it would not be realized in his lifetime. So then... When do we see fulfillment of this land promise? Go to the book of Exodus. I say it again. Uh, I don't expect you all to get this in one day. I want you to, but I don't expect you to get it in in one day. If you have questions, we are here for you. So please don't be discouraged uh, if, if that's the case. Hopefully you're encouraged. It's not until the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua that we see the fulfillment of this land promise. The descendants of Abraham... Just as God said, they do become as numerous as the stars in the sky. They do become as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And and that becomes a problem in the book of Exodus. Chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what the Pharaoh at that that time says. Or, well, chapter uh, 1, verse 7. But the sons of Israel. Are you all there? It's the very next book over, chapter 1. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. See that? And multiplied, see that? And became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. That promise is being and was fulfilled. God said they would become numerous. They are. They are so numerous that they become a problem in Egypt. And and the Egyptians say, let's mistreat them. And they are mistreated for how long? How long? 400 years. It seems to be the oppressor's favorite number. In the history of humanity. 400 years. Until. 
And this was promised by God in Genesis chapter 15. God promises in Genesis 15, your descendants, promises Abraham, your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years. It wasn't a surprise. Should not have been. But when we come to the second chapter of the book of Exodus, look at there. Chapter 2, verse 23. Are we all there? Next page, chapter 2, verse 23, or maybe same page. Now it came about in the course, 2.23, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage and they cried out and their cry for help and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Listen to what the Bible says. So God hear, heard their groaning and what does he do? What does he do? With who? With Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob, God saw the sons of Israel and took notice on them. They are in the land, a foreign land. God remembers his covenant, not that he forgets, but God is in the appointed time going to fulfill his covenant to his people and prepares to set the wheels in motion, as it were, for them to be removed from that land. Go to Genesis or Exodus 3, 7. Exodus 3, 7. This is God calling Moses from the burning bush. And here's what God says to them. Listen to this very distinct and specific language. Chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to, to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. And listen, to bring them up to the land, that land. What land? What land? He says that land. What land? Huh? Yeah, the promised land. He, he co continues, he says, uh, <clears throat> that land to a good spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place, listen to what he says, of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the sons, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. God starts to use specific land areas. What, well, where have we heard some of these names before? They've been promised to Abraham. God spoke these, these things to Abraham. And in the book of Joshua, they finally possess the promised land. Dot, 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 promise fulfilled. Land promise fulfilled. Got it? What about the promise of a child that will become a great nation? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've spent a good amount of time talking about the promised child, Isaac. After 25 years, Abraham receives the child of faith from his own body. In the 21st chapter, the promise is fulfilled. The promise of a child from his own body, fulfilled, right? What about nation? Isaac will become the father of who? 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 Jacob and who? And Esau, what will Jacob's name be changed to? Israel. How many sons of Israel are there? Twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. They grow into a great tribe, nation of people. 
Listen, that's not to mention also the sons of Ishmael. Who are, Ishmael is Abraham's son. And there are also 12 kings that come from Ishmael. That's also not to mention the, the other sons that Abraham had after Sarah's death. That's also not to mention of Esau and his children. The point is that the descendants of Abraham become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Fulfilled. Got it? Land fulfilled. A child from your own body becoming a nation fulfilled. One more promise, though. That's the other side of offspring. What's that promise? Go to Genesis chapter 12 now. We are getting closer and closer to where we want to be. Hopefully, for those of you who are saying the Abrahamic covenant is nuanced, hopefully this is helping to compartmentalize some of those nuances for you. Genesis 12, 3. And in you, circle you if you're taking notes, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, It's really here that we're going to focus the rest of our time together. And just to... Be patient with us because we're almost done here, but I want you to to get this last part. This promise is the one that's repeated in Genesis 22 after Abraham's obedience. Again, notice the placement of the promise. It comes after Abraham offers up his son. Now let's go there because I want you to see two things that are going on here. Genesis chapter 22. Are we all there? 22, just a few pages over again. Chapter 22. Got it? Good. Listen Listen to verse 17. Indeed, I will greatly multiply your seed. See that word seed? Circle it. As the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed, there it is again, circle it, shall possess the gate of, now listen to this one, their enemy. Circle that one. God will surely do for Abraham just as he's promised because of Abraham's obedience. But notice verse 17, uh, that this promised reward speaks of a seed. But in verse, listen to this, in verse 17, this seed is plural, not singular. If you're taking notes, that's important to write down. The seed spoken of in verse 17 is, is plural, not singular. Abraham shall have many descendants and they shall possess the gates, the gate of their enemies. Here's what this means. It means that they will not be stopped from possessing the land that God has promised them. They shall possess the gates of their enemy. Nothing will stop the promise from God from being fulfilled. Uh, Look at here for one second. The Abrahamic covenant will keep those who attempt to come against the promise of God. It will keep them away. I wonder if you've ever heard or or seen or read this part. Remember in chapter 15 when the covenant is, is being made. Abraham cuts the carcasses in half. The animals are there. They are prepared for the covenant ceremony. What happens as the animals are there? Something happens. Something that involves Abraham. That, that Abraham must do in order to stop. It, it almost seems random. Does anybody know what it is? There are are, are birds of prey. 
that attempt to swoop down upon the carcasses that have been cut. Remember that? And what does Abraham do? He shoes them away. This is the picture that God's covenant with Abraham will not be spoiled. We see this later mentioned in the Old Testament prophets. This is the picture that that covenant will be protected. God will fulfill the promise that he has given to Abraham. That's one aspect of the promise. Because as we read in verse 18, there's another seed there, isn't there? He said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now think about this. Verse verse 17 goes from uh, your seed becoming numerous and they together doing something. And verse 18 goes more singular to this one doing something for everyone else. Does that make sense? So there's a, a plurality in verse 17 and then there's a singularity in verse 18. Now this seed is different from, again, the, the plural. In, from verse, let's, let's take this, write this down. From verse 17 to 18, there's a messianic switch. From verse, write this down. From verse 17 to 18, there's a messianic switch. There is a promise of a seed. Listen, but there are two seeds. There is one seed that will produce a physical nation, an earthly nation of Israel. And there is another that will come from Abraham that will bless all the nations and he will form spiritual nation of Israel. That is those who place their faith in him. God promised that because Abraham obeyed, he would not withhold his beloved son. God would allow the seed that would bless the nations, here's what it is, to be born through the line of Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed, that seed that would bless the nations would be born through Abraham. Would be a descendant of Abraham. How do we know this? Because God told us. Where did God tell us? In his word. In the Old Testament, are there any texts pointing to this specific seed reference, this this singular person? Yes. When we look outside of Genesis for allusions to Genesis 22.18, in the Old Testament, there appears to only be one allusion to this text. Let's go to it. Psalm 72. You're getting a lot of work today, aren't you, students? Good. You don't get, uh, from me at least, from Pastor Zay, you get the business. But for me... You don't get this much, so you need it. It's good for you. Psalm 72, 17. Listen to what the psalmist says, 72, 17. May his name, listen to that, endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And listen to where we go. And let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. There's a striking resemblance. And it is a reference to to Genesis 22, 18. And it is speaking of that one individual. But listen, we don't only have the Old Testament to lean upon. For our understanding of who this seed is. Why? Because we have the full revelation of God. God has given us entire, the entire uh, uh, revealed will and word of, of his redemption in history. 
So we don't have to only lean upon Psalm 72 and, and wonder and guess who that might be. Let's go to Galatians. Because the Apostle Paul interprets Genesis twenty-two eighteen for us. I want to say real quick as you're turning to Galatians, you should really read the entire book. But for this specific passage, read the entire chapter, chapter 3. Okay? We're, we're zeroing, on, zeroing in on chapter 22, verse 18 of Genesis. Paul will interpret it for us. Paul will tell us who this is, right? Um, look at verse 8 first. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writing to the book of Gal- to the church of Galatia. There is a, a persecution going on in the sense that the Judaizers are, are trying to, to call people back to the law, to be circumcised and o- obey the law of Moses. That's the, the context. Verse 8, though. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel to Abraham. God uh, preached the gospel to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, real quick, look at me. What did God say to Abraham that was a gospel proclamation? Did he say what we say mostly here? That he will do for you what you could not do for yourself. That he will die the death you deserve. uh, Live the life you could. Did he say all those things? Hmm. What did he say? Guess what? We don't have to guess. Because God told us what he said. Look. He told us. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, All nations will be blessed in you. That was the gospel proclamation. God preached the gospel to Abraham saying, All nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are who are of faith, are blessed with Abraham, the believer, Paul says. God preached the gospel. The, the, the proclamation was Genesis 12, 3 and Genesis twenty two eighteen. That's the proclamation of the gospel. Who is the center focus of the gospel? Who? Christ. Christ is the, 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 the spearhead of the gospel, is he not? Yeah. God preached Christ... To Abraham, Paul takes this point a step further. Verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were made the promises. Were the promises made? Listen to what he says. Listen to what Abraham says. Or Paul says, he did not say to seeds. You see that? As of many, but as one and to your seed. Who is the seed, Paul? Look at your Bible. What does it say? Who is Christ? Paul makes a distinction. Uh, the, the New Testament is interpreting the Old Testament for us. So when we see, this is important, when you see mentions of, of Old Testament passages in the New Testament, perk up your ears because the, the, the New Testament is interpreting the Old Testament for you. It's giving you a, a, its meaning or fulfillment. Paul is arguing that the 18th verse of the book of Genesis is not speaking about people, plural, but rather a person, the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was telling Pastor Zay, I have all these different quotes that I'm not going to, to read. Uh, but if you want some references for this one especially, I'll give them to you. But here's one at least. Joseph Lightfoot, if you're taking notes and want to get, get a good commentary on Galatians. Joseph Lightfoot, just like it sounds, says, Doubtless the seed of Abraham was meant in the first instance to Jewish people. Initially it's Jewish people. 
as the inheritance was meant of the land of Canaan. But accordance, but in accordance with the analogy of the Old Testament types and symbols, the term involves two secondary meanings. Listen to this. He's saying that when, when God speaks of a seed, he, there's two meanings to that seed. But Paul is not arguing for a secondary meaning of seed here. He's arguing for only one meaning, and that is Christ. When God says, in you, nations will be blessed, in your seed, that is speaking of Christ, not necessarily Isaac and his descendants, although Christ is the descendant of Isaac. You with me? The blessing of all nations of the earth is thus associated with a particular descendant of Abraham rather than all of those who descend from him. Lightfoot continues, and I'll, I'll end with this. There is no doubt that this is the fact that that this is the fact that in the promise in thy seed, in your seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. The reference is not the descendants of Abraham generally, nor his descendants of Isaac, nor to his spiritual descendants, but to his great descendant. The Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The seed that, that God says will come through you in chapter 22, verse 18, is Christ. And God is saying to Abraham, through Christ in his doing and in his dying, all the nations will be blessed in what he accomplishes. Christ is that seed. When we see 22, not only is it uh, telling us about Christ, but the, the ceremony of Isaac almost being sacrificed is also meant to point us to that seed. The one who will be offered up. The lamb who will be uh, offered in our place. And then God says in chapter 22, verse 18, and that seed will come through you, through your line, Abraham. And you've just seen a picture of what he will do. Are you with me? I think there's a final question we need to ask in closing. Who are the nations? And when is that fulfilled? Uh... Augustine, by nations in this promise, we cannot understand all and every one in the nations. Nor can we consider them as such political bodies of men in the earth. But according to the New Testament, it is the great multitude of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Revelation 7, 9. What is meant by all nations? When is this fulfilled? Last verses, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We all know the, the day of Pentecost. The disciples are gathering. They are praying. Tongues of fire are over their heads. And they begin to speak in different languages. These tongues are essentially languages that are coming upon those early disciples. And as it comes upon those early disciples, they go out of the prayer house and they begin to uh, be empowered by the spirit to speak these languages to the nations. What happens? They say they were amazed. Verse seven, they were amazed, astonished saying, why are not all these 
speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors to Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Nations are hearing the gospel. Who is the focus of the gospel? They are hearing Christ. They are hearing the wonders of God, the mercies of God in Christ Jesus. And what does Peter do? He stands up and say, we're not drunk. In verses 16 through uh, 14 through 16, Acts chapter 2, he's saying this was spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel said these things would take place. And then he begins to build this argument of the gospel. He begins, he begins to, to pierce by the Spirit of God the hearts of men. And what do they do? At the very end of all of this, in verse 22 to 25, the nations begin to say, what must we do? And what does Peter say? Repent, be baptized, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens in the nations? Thousands come to Christ in one day. The nations are blessed. And what do they do? They take that gospel to where all the way to the point of this little small town. In the United States of America, filled with people from different ethnic backgrounds, are trusting in that seed that was promised that would come through Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, confirmed in Genesis 22, verse 18, and believed by you and me and all those who have ever placed their faith in Christ. He is Christ. This covenant is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see in chapter 15 of the book of of Acts that Paul takes the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. He's sent to the Gentiles. I'm cutting a bunch of stuff out now. It is foreseen, if you will. It is foreshadowed. And the ram being sacrificed and that blood being shed for that covenant that points to the blood of Christ that seals, or is it the word, ratifies, fulfills, confirms the covenant that God promised to Abraham. And even more than this, the covenant that God has made with the Son and the Spirit before the foundations of the earth. Brothers and sisters, Let's go to one last verse, Galatians chapter, let's listen to it, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ. What's the point? Paul tells us if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Listen to this, he says, heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise of Genesis 12, 3 and Genesis 22, 18, that all nations will be blessed through that one seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much more that can be said about this. I could turn this into seven or eight sermons, if you will. I know you had a lot to chew on today. Uh, I do pray that you go back, listen to it, maybe listen to it at a slower speed. I know I speak fast, 
but if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Uh, don't walk out of here confused. The point that we're trying to make is the seed that God has promised is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that promise has been fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ, just as the land promise was fulfilled. I'm going to go on on a tangent. I'm not going to do that. Just like the promise of a seed that will become a great nation will be was fulfilled. And that other side of the seed. That messianic seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come and he has developed a new creation, a new nation that is holy, spiritual Israel. We are descendants of Abraham if we've placed our faith in that seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.